Turn with me to Acts the 16th chapter. Acts 16. And uh, we started kind of doing a series last week, and I didn't know what to call it, like overall, you know, because thought about fishers of men or keepers of the aquarium and thought, ah, that sounds a little rough, you know. Uh, so um, fishers of men had some other titles, but each message has its own title. And so last week we shared all our present from a scripture uh, where uh, a guy who had an experience with the Lord didn't even know him really, but had some kind of experience, gathered all his friends, close friends, and his relatives, got them together so they could hear the truth preached. And we talk about often the miracle that happened there where the power of God fell, but it only fell on those who were brought by a guy who reached out to his close friends. And so we're kind of looking at the different times that things happened like that in the book of Acts. So uh, maybe we could call it the miracles of lost souls in Acts. Because sometimes I think we read about them and think that they were so spectacular, we we're going to wait till God does it all. And really that miracle there was not God doing it all. As a matter of fact, God only did according to what Cornelius did. And the more Cornelius brought, the more uh, God worked on those that he brought. And we recognize that there are different contacts. And we saw close friends and family uh, last week. We're going to look at somebody else today. And so this one's titled, Do Yourself No Harm, about a man who lost all hope and uh, was ready to kill himself, and, and was actually in the process of killing himself, and, and somebody called out to him and said, do yourself no harm. And so if you will, Acts 16, and we're going to begin reading in the 25th verse, and as we read this, often we look at one part of this story, and it's an awesome part to look at, uh, and, and it's how God moved in such a miraculous way on these believers, and so in Acts 16.25, it kind of cuts into the story about this guy, Paul, who was a premier minister in the church in that day, you know, kind of a guy just being mightily used of God, and this other guy, Silas. And they had been preaching the gospel, they got in trouble for it, and they got whipped. I mean with whips, where it tears your flesh, and then they were thrown into this inner prison, and... Uh, you know, there isn't, you know, a lot of people who fall into that today, you know, because we have laws that govern things. But if things get tighter, uh, really, what would drive you? How far would you go? And, you know, in all reality, how far we go is connected to the reality that we know, that we experience with God. That's the truth. That's why these guys would say, you know, you can kill me, you can do whatever you want to do. They just had such an experience with the Lord, and somebody might say, well, I need a vision of the Lord, and it wasn't that. Now, some of them did, but they knew what eternal life was, and, uh, you know, Jesus preached to the multitudes and said, eternal life, when after he died and rose again, would be in you a well springing up. 
But, you know, in the Old Testament, there was a time back in the book of Genesis where the patriarchs or the people who uh, were the first people of promise that God reached out to and started having a covenant with man, uh, you know, we know Abraham, well, they would dig wells. And then those wells would be passed on from generation to generation. And those wells would uh, cause all their flocks to be, you know, watered, all their, you know, farm, whatever it is that they needed, these wells brought life to everything. And uh, one of the wells was passed on, and some enemies came, and it said that they buried the wells with earth and dirt and rocks. In other words, that life that was to be brought to their, their whole being, meaning their cattle, them personally, their chickens, whatever it is they had, uh, it was to supply, be a supply for everything. And an enemy came and took and filled it up with earth. You know, in the Bible, earth is often kind of can be shared as a parallel as flesh. And you wonder sometimes if Jesus says that there is a well of salvation inside of a believer that should be springing up. And it's not water like natural water, but it is eternal life. It is a quality of heaven inside of a human being that makes them radical. It really will. You have to quench it or be too far in the natural. We see people who get saved and they're on fire and you think, I'll help them so they don't get out of control. You put a rope around them, that burns right off. And they'll witness to anything and anybody that moves. They don't care. It's, it's a wrong mentality that holds people back. It's the flesh or the natural mind. There's a fire inside of every believer. As a matter of fact... I'll probably talk about this as we move on. There's a revolutionary or revolutionist in every believer. Somebody said, isn't a revolutionist one who overthrows governments? Yes. Absolutely. But there are spiritual governments and there are natural governments. Don't think that we're going to overthrow the natural government. People fight too much in that arena and what we're going to do is if we overthrow the government that's ruling the lost with the government that rules us, are you with me? We'll have radical change. But that life and that revolutionary person is actually in you if you're saved. Someone who just gets saved and just totally lives their life for themselves uh, is being robbed. They're, they're not connecting with that eternal life that they got when they received the Lord. That would make them look like, you know, these people that we read about who rise up like Fidel Castro. It gets a bunch of people who have the same desire and the same dreams and they overthrow a country and they take control of it. And they get, they, they're militant 
but we're not militant in an evil way, but we're just plundering hell to populate heaven. And if we're not revolutionary, then we're missing eternal life. And this is not just to make people emotionally something. Often people get tired in their walk. Often they, they, there's different things that face them. And what happens when they attempt to do it in their own strength instead of through eternal life, it gets to be a drag. But the problem is they identify with God. They've had an encounter. They know who he is. So they know there's no turning back. But they haven't worked and walked with him in it to really live in his strength. And so what people do is they look outside and think, man, I need this strength in me. No, if you have eternal life, you have something that wants to spring up and dominate you. And make you look way different than you are. You have to suppress eternal life. And if you do, you don't get to eat of it. Doesn't mean you don't have it. Doesn't mean if you die, you wouldn't go to heaven. Doesn't mean God doesn't love you. But man, the world needs to see what's in you. Somebody's like, oh, they don't want to. You should have seen the thoughts I had this morning. No, I'm not talking about your thoughts. I'm talking beyond that. Are you with me? Because somebody might do that. Oh, you don't know what, what's inside of me. Well, then get saved. Well, somebody said, I am saved. Then, then you just haven't identified the right part of you. Your focus may be just more on the emotional, but there is divine life that can start to illuminate and change the mentality you have. It will make you radical. Like seriously. It will make you look like one of these guys in the book of Acts. You know, they... And here's the thing. When these guys got together, they, there weren't other guys going, hey, just calm down, use a little more wisdom. Now, we should use wisdom, but they weren't trying to calm people down. They weren't trying to... Just... just don't do that. If you just don't rock the boat, we're not going to get in trouble. And they weren't out trying to change the political scene. They were out to change the people, giving them eternal life. If you want your friends to change, they need eternal life. You with me? It will explode in them. And, they, and here's the thing. I've seen this over the years. I remember a, a guy... He was actually the guy who led me uh, to the Lord or back to the Lord. His wife had grew up in church. Her husband was a, used drugs, had a real good job, but uh, he did drugs. And so I knew him and knew him through that. And, and she would pray every night. Well, I didn't know this. He didn't know this. Lord, save him. Do something in his life. Because she didn't like where he was. Do something in his life. So this other guy we knew had gotten saved, so he started, God started working through him. I don't know if he ever felt led to do it or not, but he started reaching this guy, and I remember him telling how he went to this special meeting, and he even told me all the vulgar stuff he was telling the guy on the way to this meeting. And the guy just ignored him, brought him, he got saved that night. 
He gave his life to the Lord. And then when he got home, he is different and there is a revolution in him. He is changing. His wife, after he got this new life, was so upset. Because basically she was praying that he wouldn't do what he used to do. And she wanted her husband uh, out of that, but on her terms. But he got eternal life and she got a husband on God's terms. And he walked with it. She hated me after I was hanging around and gave my life to the Lord. She did not like me because like we'd go to Bible study together. We'd go to prayer meetings together. We'd, we'd witness. He'd call me and say, hey, there's some people. Let's go witness to them. They're trying, you know, whatever. All right. I mean, you think about it. You go from one extreme to the other. And that's really what it is. And we're going to jump into the middle of a life of a guy who was in one extreme and went to the other. And he didn't just go from there to the other life just because he knew a rule to keep. He knew what was politically correct to do. If you're a Christian, you reach people. Let's go reach them then. No, he had eternal life. He, he was part of an army of people who were driven from the inside. And in all reality, that well of life is, is so powerful that it will affect your emotions. It technically is reality. It's a connection with reality when you get eternal life. So let's read on here. They're in prison for doing what God had told them. This wasn't them going, we need to go down there and do this. They were so driven. I bet you they probably, and if you look at this guy's life, there were times he'd just be going, God would have to say, not there. And then he'd go, okay, I'm going to go here. And God would have to say, not there. And then he said, all right, well, I'm still supposed to be going, so I can't go south. I can't go north. I left this area where I'd been reaching people. I'm going to go straight ahead. And he ran into a, a sea, you know, a, land, a big body of water. And that night when he was there thinking, God forbid me from going here and God forbid me from going here, what's next? He has a vision. I mean, God had to direct him because he was moving. Are you with me? Sometimes you got to start moving. And there is something in us that would move us. It's just like this. So they're in prison. And it says, verse 25, But at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. They're in this inner prison, locked, guarded. Back in this day, uh, you know, they would have been chained in stocks. And they were. And then there would be Roman guards watching uh, to kill you if you tried to escape. And it was, they were so committed to their job, they knew if we don't kill or keep them captive, we'll get killed. And so it, it says they were singing. It, it was a dark time in their life. They're in prison, but they're still walking with God. They're still thrilled. It's amazing how many times... People, Christians were beaten or went through something hard and they said, oh, 
Thank you, Lord. We were counted worthy. Verse 26. You know, the only reason they said that was they, they were identifying and had connected and realized there was something in them. It wasn't a religion to them. It was a reality. They were walking with God. Verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed and the keeper of the prison awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing that the prisoners had fled, drew out his sword and was about to kill himself. I mean, you get this scene, this guy uh, has been tasked with keeping them, and if you uh, lose your prisoner, you lose your life. And he now is a person without hope. You know, we live in a world where there's a ton of people without hope. Really. I mean, there are people without hope all over the place, and they won't always tell you. I mean, we know because they talk about the suicide rate during this pandemic just climbing. One of the big fights to getting kids back into school was it's not healthy for them to be locked away. And there's, they're dealing with it on that level. I mean, think how hard that is. We were made to fellowship one with another on a spiritual plane, but even naturally. I mean, when you get to heaven, you, you may have some alone time, but you're going to run into a lot of people. So, so don't keep bitterness now against other Christians because you're going to love them there. So they're like, no, I'm not. I'll tell you what, I won't even go in their neighborhood. No, you will. You're listening to a lie and a liar, and you should just learn to get that out. And if they got something, they can deal with it. But as far as you should be concerned, don't hold it. Are you with me? And because uh, otherwise, and because people do. I'm serious. I don't care who you are. I remember one time I was in a, a meeting and I got up to preach and I started calling some stuff out like this. And there were leaders in the church like that. And uh, everybody has to deal with it. Everybody has to get... It, it, the Bible said if you have anything big against anybody, deal with it. No, it doesn't say that. It says if you have ought. That's just any small little thing. Well, it's only a little thing. Yeah, ought not ought to be there. You know why people keep things no matter who you are? It is because our reality of the Lord and eternal life has been diminished. Well, that went over well. I mean, if you really recognized eternal life who the Lord was, because I guarantee you if we all stood before him right now and he showed up in this service in a physical form, we would all be repenting. We would all be like, bah! I mean, you're not going to leave and go, yeah, Lord, I'll just get around to reaching some people. You'd be like, you guys got to come to my church. Jesus like walked in there. No, I'm serious. Everybody saw him. I guarantee you the reality would come, but we can all have that reality. How many of us, when we received the Lord, said, I'll do whatever you want me to do? 
That meant anything. The, the arguments against doing is an argument against reality. And when we're with the Lord forever, it's all real. No fake. No lies. We won't want to hold anything, but he'll be, we'll behold him all the time. Are you with me? And when we recognize him and our place with him, I mean, isn't it true? You could tell people who have that reality, man, they'll do anything at any time that the Lord ever asks them. Are you with me? Anything. Anything. Can I get a volunteer? We have to do it after the event tonight. It'll be, you know, after the Sunday, Sunday. So it could be like a couple hours later after everybody's done eating ice cream. Just stay and do this. There are some people who go, I'll do it. They don't care about the consequences. Maybe I might be a little tired. Maybe nobody else will be there. They'll just go, whatever. I know who I'm doing this for. I know who I'm doing this concerning him. This isn't about how come you're not helping. This is just me going, I know him. I'll do anything for him. And it's, it's a drive. In leadership, in honesty, you have to watch out for that. Because those are the people you need to go, you can only do 20 things, not 30. Are you with me? But we'll keep reading. So all their chains, the keeper, he's lost hope. Paul literally has this amazing experience, and we talk about this amazing experience. If you want an amazing experience with God, don't we have experiences just when we praise the Lord on Sunday morning and we get here? Could you imagine if you just did that throughout the week? Well, they did that here. It got so powerful, the building shook. I think sometimes we get caught up in the building shaking and don't realize everything that was happening there. And uh, I'm sure Paul was blessed. And Silas. Woo, you sense God tonight? Oh, are you kidding? Didn't you see the walls? Didn't you see the doors? Didn't you see the shackles fall off? This was a real event. And uh, this is what a drug addict needs. They need to know that there's a real God that can set them free too. And Paul cried out with a loud voice in verse 28 saying, Do yourself no harm. That's where I get the title, Do Yourself No Harm. For we are all here. Isn't it cool? This guy lost hope. There was a Christian there who spoke up and said, Do your no, yourself no harm. And here's the thing. He didn't just say, Don't do yourself any harm. I don't believe that's where Paul wanted it to end. And so it says here, Then he called for a light in verse 29. And he ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he uh, brought, I'm sorry, verse 29. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, here's an interesting thing. 
here's kind of a, a pattern for this miracle. One, Paul was not ashamed with his personal walk with the Lord. He, he wasn't quiet about it. In our society, people want you to be quiet about the Lord. I mean, you're allowed to sing a, a song or have a song playing on the radio, an old rock and roll song, driving that train high on cocaine. Woo, yeah, or some other song. You know, that's cool, but, oh, you listen to loud Christian music? Or you praise the Lord? These guys didn't care. They were not ashamed. People who are ashamed may miss out on certain things. If they would have been ashamed, would the building have shook? No, because they wouldn't have been doing what it took to make the building shake. But they were so radical because of what was in them, and what's in them is in you, if you're saved. Not because you come to church, but because you know the Lord. It's in you. Somebody said, no, it's not. Yes, it is. It really is. And he said, do yourself no harm. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Here's an interesting thing that I think would be helpful to people. You know, some Christians suffer more persecution or temptation uh, than others. And some of it can be done away with just by our witness. Because witnessing sets up boundaries. And those boundaries can be healthy and helpful for you in multiple ways. Other people know where you stand. And other people, if they start knowing you're a Christian and, and I don't do that anymore, I'm living for the Lord, it helps people. It helps you. It helps people. If you keep your mouth shut, uh, at some point, you're going to need to open your mouth the right way. So it's better often to do it this way when the opportunity is there to share the right things. Why? Because these people might be wanting to go do something that's immoral and wrong. But if they know you're a believer and you really live for the Lord, they'll think twice about reaching out to you and saying, hey, you want to go do this? You want to go party with us? You want to go do this with us? They're going to think twice because you've already put out a fence that says, and it's invisible to the naked eye, but it's a real thing where people go, oh, they're this, they won't do this. Are you with me? But the cool thing about that too is, is once something happens in their life, they know where you stand and they know they'll cross that fence to get into your business and say, uh, can you help me? I know believers all over the place who encounter this type of thing all the time. When they know who you are, know where you stand, they may make fun of you, but when the time comes, they'll get into your business because they know where you stand. Paul and Silas were singing songs out loud. Everybody in the place knew. I mean, they sang the prison guard to sleep. <laughs> Paul preached uh, one night so long, a guy fell asleep in his service and fell out the window and died. But thankfully, he went out and raised him from the dead. So this isn't the first time somebody fell asleep in one of his messages, which makes me feel good. 
Because I never had one fall asleep in mine, so... I, well, one. I didn't, I didn't say nothing. I'm just... Did I hear a voice? Call, one cr crying from the wilderness? And... Um, but you think about it. I mean, he had people that fell asleep. And you wonder sometimes... Uh, was there more to that? You know, there are some people get no relief. They come to church and they sense like, man, I can finally sleep. There's something there. And I'm not saying that's the place to do it. But I'm saying there is something in God. And here this guy falls asleep and wakes up and the prison doors are open. He tries to kill himself. But when he, before he fell asleep... He got to hear the gospel. He heard it through the songs that were being sung. A lot of songs in the world have no hope or not proper hope. Are you with me? And they drive different ways, but I don't think he was singing, Old MacDonald had a farm. And then Silas would jump in, E-I-E-I-O. And Paul would say, and on this farm, and then... Silas did background, and he's like, E-I-E-I-O. You know, he's back there. And um, no, they were singing about the Lord. They were singing unto the Lord. And whenever that happens, God moves in a powerful way, but it, there was truth being told. Because the first thing, you know, if the prison doors are open and you're going to kill yourself because you know you're going to get killed thinking they're gone, you lost all hope. And so what happens is he tells, he cries out, don't do it, we're here. In other words, there's hope. But he didn't just say natural hope. He wasn't wanting just natural hope. And then the guy calls out, what do I need to do to be saved? How did he know he needed to be saved? That wasn't like, woo, mystical. No, it was part of the process. It was part of them having a life before that event. I mean, because he said, what do I need to do to get this salvation? Maybe Paul was singing and Silas was singing and giving thanks to God that they were saved, that they had eternal life. Maybe when he fell asleep, he was thinking, this is of interest. Because maybe he fell asleep when God was first moving, but not moving in such power that the building shook and it probably started convicting him. And then when this whole thing came down, he said, what do I need to do to be saved? And then he gives them instruction on what to do to be saved. And it's interesting, 2 Corinthians 1.4 says this, that in 1.3, it talks about how God, who, who's the God of all comfort, will comfort us in any trouble so that we will have comfort to be able to help anybody else who's in trouble. So Paul's in trouble but he's experiencing God. He's got so much left over. He's like, man, I've got goods for you. We should recognize, even if you feel depleted, you know, you ever watch a magician, you know, there's magicians now that they don't have the hat and the rabbit thing going. They got all kinds of stuff. But when most people think of a magician, you know, he's got a wand, a hat, and there's rabbits in there or eggs or something. And he lets you look, and there's nothing in there, but then he pulls it out. A rabbit. 
a handkerchief. And he can just pull more and more. And you're like, how is he doing that? Some people look at themselves, but they only look natural. And they think, well, I don't have anything right now to pull out to help somebody. You do. You're just, there's pockets that aren't seen to the natural. Just like a magician. I mean, those rabbits honestly were in there. But they're trained rabbits. They all suck in and they sit on the side of the hat, and when he reaches his hand, and they're like, <gasps> and then they inflate. And if you believe that, I've got property to sell you. No, there's hidden pockets in there that are not visible to the naked eye, but when you look, you would think it's not there. But if you're a believer, there's something in you. Turn to Ephesians 2.8. And what's in us is not, I mean, it can get catchy, you know, phrase, you know, oh, I'm a believer, I got eternal life. Eternal life should be thought of more than nitroglycerin. Are you with me? More volatile, and it's in there. And people need to recognize there is stuff that can trigger that eternal life that's in us. And there are things that can suppress it. The goal is not to suppress it, to work with it, identify it, tap in. Notice this Ephesians 2, 8. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Salvation, this eternal life is a gift of God. It will make you or anybody radical. It will turn you into a revolutionary, a revolutionist. Serious. When people identify with this eternal life, and, and here's the thing, sometimes people only identify it when they first get saved, and you see them and they're just, they were one way, they're another. And it doesn't matter who they are, where they're at, you're going to know who they are. And they look different. But then there are people, and I know this to be true, that who have had this, experienced it, and now they're not identifying with that eternal life that's in them, and so they don't act like a revolutionary. Somebody might think, well, then what do I do about it? There are, remember the book of Revelation? He told some of them, he said, repent and do the first works. It's not that you're trying to get it. You're just doing what it took to get it out. When the Bible talks about we're sanctified, we're separated unto God, it's not about you separating your life. It's He separated you from the inside. Identify with it. Cooperate with it. Focus on it. If you want this eternal life to start dominating you, to make you into what it says you are, start focusing on it. Start focusing on the fact that it's in there. Instead of focusing on your feelings or your reasoning. Remember we talked about how that well, back in the Old Testament, got clogged up. It said they dug again the well of salvation. But here's the thing. It's a picture of 
the well that's in the believer now that's supposed to feed every area of your life. Every part of your emotions can be revolutionized by eternal life. Your body, your relationships, your cattle, every part of your life can be revolutionized by that eternal life. Or it can be buried by the earth, the natural things of life. But the way to dig it out again is just start uh, looking toward it. If you were a radical and are still a radical, you're still looking at it. If, you're, if you were a radical and not thinking I'm a radical, you're not looking at it. If you, whatever you look at, you go toward. And so if you go, well, I don't feel it, don't look at your feelings, look at the eternal life. And when you look at the eternal life you have and start focusing on it, you'll realize I am a radical. I am a revolutionary. He doesn't make any other way. So he says, well, I don't want to be like that. You already are. Just start looking inside. You'll enjoy it. It's what you were made for. People don't know that. It's because they're looking at the wrong thing. And when you start looking at the wrong thing, you get all caught up in your mind with different ideas and opinions about what others think. And down goes that eternal life. It's there. But they dug it again and then they enjoyed it. Notice this. You were saved by grace. That not of yourselves. It says it's the gift of God. You didn't get saved because your own works. Remember where it says with the heart one believes unto good standing? You could read it like this. With your heart you believe unto eternal life. Not with works do you get eternal life. He was explaining, not by your works, but by a gift you get it. So you've got it once you're saved. You know, we should have some mining classes or something. How to dig again. You know, if you ever walk, watch, watch movies, you know, they've got these mine things, you know, or, you know, the old westerns, you know, they're digging a mine, and there's always a collapse in the mine. But they recognize there's gold, so there's, there's a worthy goal to dig again. Because we could hit the mother load. But it's a guess in that, but it's not a guess in this. You know what I mean? And, and you know, I'm thinking of a movie, you know. I don't know if I should share this, but there was a time where this one lady got inherited all this mines and gold things. And so this guy's like, you know, but she's kind of crazy. And the guy, guy said, she owns the mines? He said, yeah, if you marry her, you get, get her and the shaft and all. And there's some things you just don't want. You don't need stuff out there that's in the natural. What you really need is the Lord and make sure you keep him a priority and keep him your focus. You'll lay anything aside if he's your focus. You'll pick anything up if he's your focus, you'll do anything and you won't have to be poked and prodded. He said, I need a little prodding. No, you need a focus. 
Notice this. He said, you got this gift freely. It's not of yourself. It's not of works. Verse 9, not of works lest anyone should boast. And you know, there is a lot of boasting about this often and degrading too. But not always the way we think. Oh, they're all on fire. I wish I were like that. That's degrading what you have. You're focusing on what they're experiencing. You need to focus on what you have. And it will come forth, and you won't have to say, I wish I had that. You should say, I have that. What that radical has, what that revolutionary has, I have that. They're just having it come out. I'm having a coming out party too. If everybody's coming out of the closet, so am I. And not the way that the world talks about it. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship. This is an internal working created in Christ Jesus for good works. That doesn't mean you go around and pull other people's weeds. I did a good deed. I helped somebody across the street. I put their shopping cart back for them. I'm good with all of that. But that's not what he's talking about. These good works are things that overthrow spiritual governments and people. Are you with me? This is what uh, impacts workplace, neighborhoods, friends, co-workers, because something's in us and it's a reality. We need to start focusing on what he did in us. And realize that we were created under good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's not like just some, let's do the good works, everybody. Come on, let's all go do good works. What are you doing? We're about to go do some good works. No, this is you are so changed inside. It will drive you to do something for the Lord. It will drive you to reach people. It'll drive a change. But you got to focus on it. Oh, great. Are they going to ask us to serve again? Serving should be the most easy thing when you're looking and you're recognizing eternal life. And you recognize I'm connected to the Lord. We were created for this. It's excitement. Eternal life is reality. It really is. It is joy. It is peace. It's an incredible life. But if you become religious... It's not an incredible life, even though you've got the incredible life in you. It really comes down to uh, getting attention to that, and when you really recognize it, it will drive you. Nobody's going to have to say, reach the lost. You're going to hear, reach the lost, and you're going to go, err, mmm, oh. Are you with me? Nobody's going to say, hey, you need to serve in church. And you're like, I don't got time for that. You ever seen somebody who didn't know the Lord? And, and, and then you got them to church and they found out and received the Lord. I can't do that. It's Sunday's football day. So, you know, I can't do that. I've got this. When people start, when they get eternal life, you don't have to tell them, you think you're going to make it to church tonight? They're like, you don't even have to ask them. They'll push everything out of the way. Why? They're driven by eternal life. 
That's in every believer. It's in you. And I mean, in all reality, we say this, and we'll close with this verse here. Turn to, well, these two verses, I think, in Colossians, the first chapter. Jesus didn't make any Christian who wasn't a revolutionist. Not one. Not one. Everybody in here is woe. Somebody's looking at somebody saying, yeah, woe. No, I mean like woe in a good place. They just need to look beyond the natural. And I'm talking people saved. People who are not saved don't know what this is. They need this desperately. But notice this in Colossians because a revolutionary or revolutionist is one who overthrows governments. Not always, but often that's what it's meant. And that's what Jesus made. He left a bunch of revolutionary people on the earth. Go read the book of Acts and that's all you will see from the people. You will see nothing else but that. Somebody might think, well, did they have something we don't have? Nope, they've got exactly what you have. And, when, and some people, when they first started off, started off and recognized, man, I am that way. Get out of my way. Or slow down so I can catch you. Are you with me? That is still in us. It's almost like you need to hear it to keep identifying with it sometimes. Because there's so much to look at. But Colossians, the first chapter. God is the original revolutionary. He, he overthrew the kingdom of darkness... And now that's what we're doing for people. When we share Jesus and bring people, we're, we are literally, by virtue of, of definition, a revolutionist. I mean, you think in history of the people who overthrew governments. You think about people trying to overthrow possibly our government in our way. Should we go after them naturally? No. No, no, no. Because they'll still be that. You go after them spiritually and overthrow the government that's in them. When you overthrow the government that's in them, then they'll be in a different government and that will dominate their life. Colossians 1, 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. In other words, we're in the kingdom of light. We're in the light now. He has delivered us from the power, the authority, the rule of darkness, and conveyed or transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son, of His love. Notice, what happened to a person that received the Lord? Somebody reached them and a revolution took place. They were moved out of one kingdom, one kingdom that was destroyed, they were moved from and put into a new kingdom. That's what we do. We do overthrow the kingdom. There's a kingdom in them, and there's a kingdom in us, and we have power, and we have ability, and we have life. If we would identify with that life more often, we'd just get more thrilled because it is a thrill in you. 
eternal life? Nobody ever thinks, you know, when somebody dies and they go to heaven, they're in a worse place. They were so happy, I don't know that it's going to be better for them there. No, we think it's going to be incredible for them. But that incredible there is actually in the believer. And so when we reach people, we're moving them in kingdoms. We're overthrowing. This is the only way we're made. And what's cool is Philippians said that God works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You just have to look inside and begin to become focused on what you have and you'll recognize there's a drive.